What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and welcome back, Ryan McQuaid, already back. I'm so happy to see you again. I I couldn't get enough. I had to come back. (laughs) I took a a spot away from somebody else. I said, I'm coming back. Oh no, this this spot is only yours. Um, We've seen a lot of movies this week, probably even more than usual, as we have been virtually attending Sundance Film Festival. We're going to go through this year. We're going to talk about some themes, some favorites, some not so much, and um, what people are really talking about. Overall, though, before we start with the films, did you have a good experience? Yeah, I I had a good experience. I think it was a very easy experience um, for us. I mean, obviously, we were doing it virtually. And the and thank God Sundance has allowed the virtual component over the last couple of years um, because it's a very expensive festival to get to, especially after the holidays and everything. And um, the fact that I believe it was over 75 percent, 80 percent of their feature films and things in competition were available to everyone within the um of the virtual platform felt like even more to be honest uh, than usual, uh, which was great. And uh, I think a lot of people because of accessibility or, or funds or of anything personal in their life and not being able to go, I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, it's a, it's, I, I think more festivals should do it, but I understand in terms of like stars and access and things of that nature and the festivals wanting to get back to a sense of normalcy, um, that most festivals are going to just in person, but for Sundance, it was good. And overall, I thought the year was, there was some good, there was some very good towards the end that I started seeing. And, uh, and then there was of course, like Sundance where you're starting to just got, you go through a lot of films and some of them aren't like the best, but they're interesting things to talk about it. Almost every single one of them. And you give a lot of three stars, Two and a half on Letterboxd, maybe. But then when you get the one or two, that's like four or four and a half, those stick with you. And so, um, and there were a lot of that. But how was it for you? I thought it was a good festival. And it's wonderful when you make that discovery of a new filmmaker that you, you have never heard of and never seen. And you're like, oh, my God. I mean, I can just imagine I, I wasn't there for Reservoir Dogs or whatever it was the past, you know, Sundances <laughs> where where you suddenly realize this is coming. And, I, and there's a few of those that I'm so interested in seeing what the next movies are going to be for them. Um, there was several that I really liked. There was a lot of sex. There was a good sex and bad <laughs> sex and crazy sex. And that seemed like a big theme this year lots Mm -hmm. of really interesting female directors um with incredible debut features 
and a rom-com that made me believe in rom-coms again. So um, I'm pretty happy. We're going to get into that. I just have to back up a second because I realized that I didn't say that you're, of course, from Awards Watch and In Session Film. Ryan, most of my listeners know that, so I just sort of skipped through it, but if not- It's okay. It's uh, We're in the familiar- Yes. (laughs) As we talk about the new, we are familiar. Yes. It's it's totally fine. And soon I'll be presenting you that just part of my show. They don't even have to know those other things anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought we'd start. So I've put some categories here of different themes that I kind of identified um, during this week. But I thought we'd start with some big acquisitions um, that have been made. These, a lot of these movies haven't if you don't know, if you're listening, haven't been sold yet, uh, but several of them are picked up really quickly. And I thought we'd start with those and a few of the ones that won prizes. The first one I wanted to talk to you about was Fair Play, which Netflix, mm. that's the big deal of the festival. Netflix bought it. They say the price is $20 million. How was this for you? Tell us about this movie. Well, I, I first of all, I thought of this is like a perfect placement for a movie like this because it's like a tense thriller almost. You know what I mean? It's a very much a, a sort of tennis match between a cu- a newly engaged couple who are uh, secretly engaged at their uh, finance company and um and the 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 the, the female uh, in the relationship gets this giant promotion becomes the boss over her over her um her fiance and so who there really is this... thinks he's getting this exactly because she big hedge fund exactly because so she yeah so she kind of overhears it that it might be him it actually goes to her and it's this like cat and mouse game between this these power dynamics uh their relationship falling apart them trying to see if you know also too the fact that they're making million dollar deals on a daily basis and it's it you know I think that there was a theme this year and it was, you know, the thing about Sundance with their themes is as years go on, you see the influences of films from the past that have come at the festival and largely made their imprint on people that work within the Sundance sort of factory. And, you know, they, they work a lot with screen first time screenplay writers and directors and everything to sort of get them to make the process of making their first film. And so I thought a lot about a movie that I'm not the biggest fan of in the world, but I definitely saw its influences here. And that was like promising young woman, which mm-hmm. was like this and cat person, which we'll talk about in a little bit or, or, or Elaine, even that, that adaptation, like there were a ton of films that had sort of surprise twists that, either really crumbled in the third act or were really rewarded in the third act. And I think this movie is really good. This was one of my favorites of the fest. I sort of uh, equate this to like a a dirtier, sexier um, uh, version of margin call from JC Chandor. And, but, but not really focusing a lot on just the finance, but focusing on the major thing, which is misogyny, uh, which is uh, the power dynamics within this relationship and uh, a fragile male ego is is dripped all over this film. Yeah. And that's another theme of the there's a lot of men who aren't feeling great in this festival. <laughs> yes. With, no, for, with, uh, yeah. with, with egos that are tattered and torn and 
Uh, I just want to mention that this is um, Chloe Dumont, who's the director. This is her first feature, right? Mm -hmm. And yes. that's so impressive. I mean, also not just in terms of the thriller aspects and the, these characters. Um, Emily is played by Phoebe Denevoir, who's uh, most people know from Bridgerton. Bridgerton. And yeah. um, the uh, male, I don't remember his name, but it's Alden Ehrenreich. Who... Yeah, Luke's uh, played by Alden Ehrenreich, who both right. uh, Moore and, and Ehrenreich are fantastic. All oh, right. I love that his name is Luke, since Alden Ehrenreich is very associated with yeah. Han. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I saw that I this week. And yeah. <laughs> I saw that this week, and I was just like, oh, I didn't even pick that up when I was watching it. I was like, good for them. But yeah, no, I think I think they're really good. And one... I, I shout out. I, I've always been on the Alden Aragon, right? It's a fantastic actor train and I've missed him because of the whole solo stuff. And because I feel like he just kind of walked away. So we get him in this. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll see him in cocaine bear wild year for him yes. already. Uh, but Devin Moore is, is actually the person for me that I really um, was a discovery. Cause I've never seen Bridgerton. Um, and I, I was like, it's just not something in my bag. Um, but watching her here as Emily, I think that, you know, she, it's also about someone having to fight against a male dominated sort of industry. And then also when she's told certain things about her tone or demeanor or her hunger to, 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 um, to sort of branch out and be like one of the boys, she takes that and does it in her own way. I think it's truly fantastic. And yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very impressive first direction, uh, first time director film. Uh, I also think that um, what really drew me in was the fact that, you know, she wrote and directed this, but she's also got Ryan Johnson executive producing mm -hmm. this film as well. Um, so uh, the, the Netflix placement since, you know, Ryan Johnson's working with Netflix now with the, the Glass Onion, Knives Out Train, um, it felt like a right place, but... Um, I don't know. I, I I know that some people were put off by the third act. I wasn't. Um, I think that it's, it's so fascinating. It's a fascinating sort of film. And it's one of those titles that when I was reading the description about it, and I think that that's what we all do at Sundance mm -hmm. too. And it's the unwritten rule of we read the descriptions that we see are on the website before we see the film. And then that's how we judge whether we're yeah, going to. And then to you're like, shit, I missed that one. Everyone's yeah. talking about <laughs> like shit. And that was a good thing too. If, if I could just say one thing real quick and then we can move on to the next title is that was the beauty this year of doing virtual while um, everyone was in person too, was the virtual component had us get the films about a day or two behind. So we got initial reactions so we could watch essentially what was good and didn't have to watch a lot of the, uh, no, no offense to everybody, a lot of the bad things or the crap that we usually yeah. have to watch when we get to it. So we got a heads up. Our numbers are usually like my numbers are usually in like the 40s or 50s for a festival like this because you're having to watch everything, you know, over the last couple of years. This year was around 28 to 30 films. So it was a little bit lower because I got to just really hone in on the things that were more highly praised or talked about. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to move on to one I think that you missed. A24 has picked up a horror, a small horror movie called Talk to Me. I think this is going to be a big hit for them. It's also a feature debut from a couple of YouTubers. They are twin brothers, Danny and Michael Filippo. I think they're called 
at Raka Raka on Instagram. They, they're huge. But mm-hmm. they have done a teen horror film that is so scary and so gory. <laughs> I just warned. I was watching between my fingers. Um, it really is. So that's that's a warning. But it it feels like it goes back to those classic teen horror films where you have a group of teens just why are you doing this? You keep asking why. <laughs> the premise is that they found an old sort of mummified hand. And when they grasp this hand for 90 seconds, you have to get off the hand after 90 seconds or something bad will happen. A sort of dead person enters into the body of that teen. And it becomes sort of like this party trick. But I mean, it happens for real. And they're possessed for a little bit. And they do all these crazy things. But then of course, this becomes not what was intended. Um, And it's all (laughs) these, these teen uh, tropes of addiction. And I just thought it was really, really well made. It, It had some very heavy themes too of a mother uh, one of the teens has lost her mother who of course you understand that that will become part of the seances that they do and uh, i think this is going to be a hit and these two guys i think are going to get some sort of franchise horror film on monday on monday (laughs) it's gonna happen their new film can't even come out they've got to do poltergeist three or whatever yeah, you know whatever. The, new, the new thing yeah no um <laughs> no i i've heard i i'm so mad at myself um that i didn't i get you know for me personally i was staying away from the midnighters uh this year because last year uh i watched uh what is that the speak no evil or whatever it was mm-hmm. that film and uh, and I absolutely despised it. And I said, uh, Sundance, I'm not going to watch any more of your horror films until um, you prove me that they're not demented as hell. <laughs> and um, and so I, st- I stepped away from them this year. And then everyone was talking about it. And before you know, it was it was just too late. But I mean, yeah, it was a big acquisition for for a 24. They're obviously their bread and butter is, you know, sort of elevated, mm-hmm. you know, uh, director um, focused horror and um and they also i mean working with a duo of of directors oh i think that worked out for them this year i think that they could do that again <laughs> you know what I, mean? I want to move on to a what was the big fan favorite it won that prize um i think yeah. is it called the fan favorite prize i think so but yeah. it's called yeah. radical which is a film based on a true story, a wired article about mm-hmm. a teacher in metamoros mexico who has a very non-conventional teaching method. He's played by Eugenio Derbez, who I think is really, really good in this. I mean, we've Mm -hmm. seen our share of inspirational teacher films. This is that same genre. It got me. And I think that what this film did really well um, with all those regular genre of the inspirational teacher who comes to a school that's basically crumbling is that you also see the sort of brutality that the kids are living in, the gangs, the death, the extreme poverty that's around them. And you have this teacher who comes with the really caring approach and gives them a sense of future. So I understand that this is sort of the coda of the year. What did you think? Yeah, I I got that too, and it doesn't it doesn't help when you say that that one of, that he was in Coda as well. Yes, yeah, so um, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I thought that the film was was fine. Um, you know, it it is building a lot on the formula that we had seen before. Um, you know, obviously, it's specifically looking at 
you know this this section of of of, of children in in Mexico and everything and and I I, I found that to be very refreshing you know, as a Mexican-American to sort of just tap in and look at, the, you know, the specific educational problems that are there. But it is very heavy on uh, tropes and things that we've seen before. You it's know, goodly performance. You know, it's very formulaic. Some, you know, some films can be formulaic, but I think a performance or maybe some directorial decisions can really change that. And for here, I I didn't see a lot of that. Uh, not not the worst thing I saw, but also just one of those where I was like, I feel like this sort of inspirational sort of drama, um, you, know, you know, we've seen it many times before. We also seen it within sort of the Latino community with something like Stand and Deliver as well. So um, but it, it it it's always one of those where it's like if it's a first time director or a second time director or whatnot doing something like this, I'm always interested in. Okay, this is a first good introduction or decent or fair introduction. What are they going to do next? You know what I mean. And okay. um, and usually whatever they do next for me um, is always the next thing that I like. So, um, but I, I like this the specificity of it. Uh, I just wish it wasn't. So as... you don't think that this, even though it did win that prize and the whole coda feel of the of it. I mean, uh, do you think it's going to be as big of a hit? I mean, is no. this an Oscar? I mean, I I don't believe so. I mean, the 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 thing about Coda was, I mean, one Coda is 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 almost like an anomaly. It feels like you know um, we have movies this year, as we've talked about in the Oscar race, where we're like, what's going to be the Coda that like upends everything everywhere all at once? It's like, well, maybe there just isn't one, um, you know. And sometimes, you know, clearly, no Sundance films carried over from last year into the into the awards conversation whole, wholly, unless you're counting Living. You know, what I mean, which was one that sort of carried over from there. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think back of of last year some some other Sundance titles that that really did carry over, but not there weren't many. Um, and uh, and it seemed that like you know because of everything everywhere being at at South by that was the one that carried over. Or you know, Marcel was at Toronto, but it also had a resurgence at South by, so it it had a you know a good run there. Um, I don't I don't believe that this would be the film that could run into sort of awards conversations. I think there's, there's some others that we'll talk about, but, um, but definitely for sure. It's, it's a crowd pleaser and crowd mm. pleasers, as you know, always do well. Um, but it, it's about a movie like this, you know, uh, do you, do we know where it's getting distributed at this point? I or? don't think so. I don't. Yeah. I think the, the thing about it is it'll depend on where it goes. Right. Like, it, like I feel like a movie like this could go, if it goes to like, you know, somewhere really, really small, um, then you know it could really be hurt. But then again, we saw this year that anything can get nominated at this point, um, regardless of an investigation. So maybe <laughs> radical is too Leslie, and we just yeah. don't even know about it. But uh, but uh, but you know, I I I think that um, also too, you just got to be weary of the fact that it is an international film. So the fact that there will be probably other submissions from other directors, you know, there too. Um, but it, but it's a sweet little film, and so maybe 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 it does get carried just for the lead performance, and maybe that carries it over. But at this point, um, a fan favorite prize is is probably exactly what I would expect for it. Yeah. You know? Well, moving on to the next category here is terrible dates and desires, and this is we sort of touched on it a little bit before, but there was a lot of really 
petrifying and awkward dates. You were mentioning Cat Person. Why don't we start mm-hmm. with that one? Man, talk about a movie that just gets like derailed within like the last act. I'm telling you. So this is like a, this is about uh, Amelia Jones. She plays this girl and she sort of meets uh, this guy played by Nicholas Braun at this movie theater she works at. And they sort of get like it's it's the 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 meet cue moment, right? Where like a girl works at behind the movie theater counter and a film bro walks in. Um and <laughs> uh and they they lock eyes and they start talking about things and then they exchange numbers and then it becomes a little bit more crazy as the film goes on. And then there's I think some, you know, Susanna Fogel directs this film. I think that this is a this movie takes some wild, ambitious sort of like third wall sort of talking to the camera extra, you know, having like a lot of internal monologue things that are going on in the film as Texts well. That are and flying, it's know, it is inc- it is crazy, like Gen Z esque filmmaking fit perfectly for that generation. But then the and and I, I was mostly along for the ride of this film, and then that third act kicked in. And I think the third act is a problem because it doesn't have a bite to it. And I think that, you know, I said this a couple of years ago when it, when promising young woman happened, I felt that that movie sort of let things off the hook and got kind of gimmicky by the end. You know what I mean? And that ending for me has not aged particularly well, but to see that, that, endings kind of now influential mm-hmm. in a lot of these films is not good because I think they for a movie like this to land there needs to be something to say and I don't think that there was really anything to be said here that hasn't either already been been said before or it's it doesn't fit with the film that we've been watching you know what I mean and so and I think or the short story. It's, it's based on a short story that went really viral in 2017, I think. Um, and this ending is is something else. Yeah. The movie starts with a Margaret Atwood quote that is, men are afraid that women will laugh at them and women are afraid that men will kill them. That is sort of what we see, her fears and her, you know, trying to maneuver in my really feelings, is he nice? Is he not nice? Um, but I completely agree. There were interesting elements in it, and I kept watching. Um, but something happened at the end that just felt like a completely different film. And the and, critique, yeah. sort of on modern dating, just didn't. Bad. No, no, I I agree. I think that they're I think they're very surface level, and it's very it's it's a very easy sort of out. This movie does, and I. I, I was like, no, you have done so many interesting directorial decisions. Um, like, why is this the ending? And it felt also, too, like we just we landed here because it's the simplest way to end the film rather than like what was the best motivation for the for the characters and the story. And um, and then like the last kind of like scene of the film too, just kind of like, oh, I rolled my eyes at it. I was like, I know we were going here. I know exactly we were going to that moment. Um, and like Amelia Jones, speaking of Coda, um, she, gosh, we're talking about that way too much too. But yeah. <laughs> uh, she's in this in Fairyland. And I thought that her performances in both films were very underwhelming for me. 
I, I, I was very underwhelmed for, for him. I thought um, she was good in this one, but yeah. um, Fair, unfortunately, the material. Different... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the material in, in both and particularly in that one didn't really yeah. serve her <laughs> strengths. No. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that the ensemble around her here helps her, you know, helps move it forward. I mean, you have like, um, you know, Hope Davis and Nicholas Braun and uh, Michael Gandolfini and, and and many other, you know, wonderful actors. So th- like there's a, there's, there's enough, there was enough here to keep me interested. I don't think it is a terrible, terrible film, um, but it's, but it's one that man, an, an ending really out the kids, kids listening out there. If you're going to write a movie, an ending really can sour an experience by the end. And, uh, you know, and so I think that this is kind of that example. And this one has a very, very awkward, I mean, that's not a sex scene, but I mean, it's supposed to be awkward. So it's, that's yes. really, <laughs> so I want to move on to a um, very sexy movie that I thought was great. Um, see what you think. And that's Passages. Mm. by writer director Ira Sachs who um I've really liked several of his films before Franz Rogowski um who I think is amazing he plays a very narcissistic film director he's married to Ben Wishaw who's an artist and who's also fantastic in this but he meets Agat at a and a down on the dance floor played mm-hmm. by the wonderful Adele. I can never say her name. Extra, extra copolis, extra copolis. And so he is curious about that. And it becomes, he goes between his husband and between her. And it becomes this sort of menage a trois, not really, but it's just such an interesting study in someone who is just totally focusing on his own needs and uh, what that means and what happens to him, how you see this at the end. And, and I, I, I thoroughly like this movie. It's it's just like really great to like, and, and this is no disrespect to everyone out there doing these wonderful debuts. It's nice to, when you're at a festival, be in the hands of a really, really good filmmaker. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, like, no, like, I love Iris Sachs and I think his films are, they're very complex and they're always talking about interesting relationship dynamics, not just within straight couples, but, but definitely within uh, LGBTQ queer, you know, couples. And in this, this is his most, I think, complex sort of examination of, you know, we kind of all thought it would be about really about bisexuality and it kind of is a little bit, but it really isn't about that. It's about um, this artist who is in clear control of his set his film set or his editing room or whatever in the brief shots that we get of that but in his love life he's out of control he's a wild man he's insane and the the cost is these two people that he in air quotes loves Mm -hmm. and it's about you know the the like you mentioned the narcissism of uh, i think (laughs) i've seen a lot of people say it's about like the the effect that pretty people have on <laughs> on the rest of us and not to say that the other two people that he's in a relationship aren't pretty people but like when you have the sort of confidence of that you are the big swinging dick in the room and you can do and move back and forth without any consequences it's a fascinating dynamic i was thinking a little bit too about 
you know the you know obviously power dynamics uh you know are essential uh to a movie that i loved last year which was tar and i was thinking a lot about that because the, because that's using um the workplace right using the art form this is about using the you know and and also it, it, that's that film is also about um the downfall of the of outside of the workplace too um sort of crumbling that you know in that film but this film particular was like about an artist not necessarily even understanding at times the impact of their of their of their um selfish decision making i thought it was one of the best of the best of the festival and then it reminded me a lot of of having a movie like after yang in -hmm. last year's festival because you have a director in Koganada who, you know, is our, it's a second feature, but it's already confident. You already see the confidence behind the camera. Iris Sachs is one of the most confident directors that we have, and especially one of the great writers that we have. And um, yeah, talk about sex scenes. There's two oh, of them wow. in this film. Amazing I mean, yeah, and I mean, they are, but they're not, they're not like, you know, gratuitous in my opinion. They're very much very tender without getting into it, you know, too much, but thinking back on the film and the positions that Tomov played by Franz Rojkowski, the positions that he's in, in both of those scenes, mm-hmm. you know, um, with it say a lot also too, about the fiddle that he's playing within these two characters. He's getting, you know, he shouldn't be in control of, of, uh, of, a, a relationship with a goth and physical because he's a gay married man, right. you know, and this is really like, it seemed like his first time with a woman. And then when he's with um, his husband, ex-husband, however you want to describe it in the film, uh, when he's with Martin played by Ben Wishaw, he gives the control back, but we really obviously know who's in control yeah, the entire happening? time. So it's really interesting the power dynamics within just the love scenes too. And uh, what an ending to it when it also, you know, Oh, the cafe scene, the cafe scene alone was like, Oh my God, I was, uh, and it's only 90 something minutes long. So it was like, it's the perfect Sundance title when you just got 90 minutes and you can say so much with it, with a little runtime. Do you know if this has been bought? Yes. Yeah. So um, everyone's favorite movie that uh, bought Decision to Leave last year had a Great Freedom, which is another wonderful film, and I think kind of a uh, is a good uh, double feature of Franz Rosakowski playing uh, a queer uh, man in that film. Uh, they picked it up, and so it should come out sometime later this year. Um, but uh, and which is you know kind of sad because Decision to Leave's sort of campaign or whatever did yeah, not yeah. go out well for it, but. Um, they clearly are a place where they they truly adore sort of independent uh, you know cinema from like auteur directors. So um, it's a good it's a good spot, and it'll be streaming then too, which will be great as well. So the last one in this category is sort of in between two categories: uh, magazine dreams, because it really has the date from hell. Um, mm-hmm. which, um, stars Jonathan Majors in an absolutely incredible. Um, tour de force, taxi driver, king of comedy um, performance, you know, it was very awkward around women. And and this is an incredible performance in a film that meanders and becomes overlong, in my opinion. How about you? 
I totally agree with you. This movie is like 30 minutes too long and completely unfocused. Um, you know, I think that two things can be true. Jonathan Majors gives a fantastically prepared and um unhinged performance. He's the the transformation. We we all sort of like our mouths were watering <laughs> when we saw the first photo for this movie and we were like, you know, I mean, how could ripped. you not? Oh my god. Like Rip doesn't even begin to describe no. it. You know what I mean? And it's like a statue. Yeah. I mean, it's it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Like it, it was so it was so provocative that social media sites were banning it saying it was pornographic. That's where we were getting at with that photo, Jonathan Majors. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think with that said, though, his performance is so committed. And yet this is another incidence where it's like, okay, somebody watched Scorsese's film. Somebody watched Joker way too much mm-hmm. and forgot the commentary behind it. Watching Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy this year, this past year, from uh, the Scorsese series that we did over at In Session Film does not help magazine dreams at no. all because the date scene that you mentioned from hell is very eerily similar to the one that Sybil Shepard and Robert De Niro have in Taxi Driver. The sort of letters being written are very much like the ones Travis Bickle was writing to his mother um, and to his family back home. The um, rejection of someone within their profession to then make them turn violent yeah the buildup of the incel it's it, yeah it's very very reminiscent of all this and the problem is is the muscle bodybuilder community has not really been tapped into by many directors no. it's still a fairly new sort of subject for people to talk about and when i was watching the film i'm like okay where's going to be the biting criticisms of the fact that this is a very um while we're talking about this physique it's very dangerous and it's very um obsessive and it's very it's very much the the extreme of being healthy so i saw like comparisons to whiplash and i get that too and i thought even about um the novice a film that came out uh, i think last year or the year before you know and but those films had something to say about their obsession, and I don't think that this film does. And I think yeah, there's 75 the endings. It made Lord of the Rings feel like a like you know a short <laughs> yeah. film. It felt like you know what I mean. So um, I I just but we will this, see more of this director. Yeah, he did this, and he did Hot Summer Nights, which was a uh, Timothy Chalamet um, before Call Me by Your Name kind of vehicle as well, or like in between. So he has an interesting style. I think that though his style needs to be honed in and specific and he doesn't need to be anywhere near um final draft at all Uh, because (laughs) because because his scripts are very yeah just delete or just give it to somebody else that can add the commentary because there's a lot of things in here that are untapped like you're talking about him writing these letters to Mm -hmm. this this uh body builder that he becomes obsessed with um yeah, there's some tap potential about this sort of, uh, you know, the 
heterosexuality of the sport with uh, you know homo- homosexual undertones that they they tap into but then it's like a quick bam boom and then you're done um you know the 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 mental health aspect of this film is barely touched the you know the the poverty uh of of black people in a community like this and he mentions early on like that it's just six miles away there's from no a grocery store yeah with good, yeah. healthy food there's nothing of that in his they're community. all just mentioned they're never examined and that's and also too there's like an there's a scene with with police officers that after the things that have happened recently in tennessee are is an unrealistic thing in modern america you know what i mean and then there's there's the final well it's one of the final endings but it revolves a a show at a at a at a at a stage um uh, like at a concert hall or whatever that scene is so unrealistic it it started taking me out of the film and um and also i didn't want it to go there but then when it doesn't go there then it feels like they're pulling punches i don't know it's a really weird film i'm sure majors is going to get a lot of love because it's kind of hard not to but yeah I don't know, Christian. I I'm just tired of the whole incel. Yeah, me too. You know, taxi driver king and comedy sort of ripoffs, and just like there's there's a better way to tell this story. I think give us something new in if you're going to tell that or yeah. be in that vein. Um, moving on to another and captivating performance, um, which I think most people really felt. That's Anne Hathaway in William William Oldroyd's <laughs> Eileen. In a 1960s set, really pulp, lusty, intriguey film about with her and Thomas and Mackenzie, who I also think does an incredible. She's really good in this movie, too. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Take it away. What did you? Man, again, an ending. My God. Oh, an no. Ending I just... loved it. <laughs> I know. I know. Some pe- it, This is the divisive thing about this movie. It's like people really love it. You know, they, they really like it. You know what I mean? They like the, the, the nature of it. I mean, it is the one thing about the ending. While it just doesn't work all for me, it has a, a moment of a monologue from another actress um, that that is like, like we're out of a different film. At this point, it, it it's great, but um, I thought Marin it was in Ireland, who's the MVP of the festival. She's also in Birth Rebirth. Yes, um, I thought that the film was. I thought I, I thought it was 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 good. Like I, like I, maybe I'm I'm sounding real low a lot on this show, um, but but like it, it again, I I felt that like it was good and it was leading me to somewhere and then there the twist comes in there and i'm and i started went what and so i'm like well there are no. many twists you're you talking know? about the yeah the end twist the, the, the end twist Marin i Ireland. was fine i was fine with a lot of the other twists and the the you know the sort of uh relationship dynamic between hathaway and thomas and mckenzie i thought that a lot of that was i think that they are really good like they're 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 having a ball mm-hmm. in this movie um but then like yeah the the ending is a 
is a bit jarring was a bit jarring for me i thought it kind of doesn't conclude too like i like it doesn't fully wrap it up and doesn't like finish you know what it sets out to do and and i wish that it wasn't ambiguous it almost feels like it's ambiguous by the end to be honest with you um and so i don't know i was left like when you go from a it felt like a roller coaster you're going up and down and up and down all these different things and i was just kind of like man i wish it was a little cleaner by the end but that being said if it comes when it comes out i kind of want to watch it again because it's got such an interesting sort of look and it feels the very vibe you know, is Thomas yeah. McKenzie. She plays a, she's lives with her alcoholic ex police dad. Who's horrible. She works in a prison. I mean, she's obviously depressed and she has all these sort of visions of shooting herself and into her life, into the prison comes this captivating Marilyn Monroe-esque psychiatrist in the form mm-hmm. of Anne Hathaway who, if you, I'm going to say a theory I have, which may be a bit of a spoiler. So go two minutes forward, but I, I am going to do this with you, Ryan. Yeah. I kept thinking that Anne Hathaway isn't real. Oh. That okay. Thomas and Mackenzie's character has all these fantasies Visions. about womanhood, about mm-hmm. what 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 this means. I was in that mode um, that kept me wondering. So when it was over, I had all these questions and things, and I love having that about a movie. Okay, now I won't spoil anymore. (laughs) 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 I don't know if it is a spoiler. It's just a theory, but uh, no, yeah, no. I mean, and I haven't read the book, so I don't know if this is completely unheard of. If you read the book, yeah, I think I want to get the book too because, like, everyone's like, "Oh, this book's so important." I was like, "Okay, well, I need to get it." Um, so I, I'm willing to give this one a second go. I think like on first, it's, it's a mixed bag for me on, on first watch, but, um, you know, the, the thing about it is too, is, is that I feel like this would have played so well with a crowd. Um, you know, and I feel like I was watching it at home by myself, like looking to no one, looking to my dog <laughs> to try to like, are you watching this? Do you see what's going on? Uh, but, uh, no, I, I, I would be willing to give it a second go. It's, it's not, this is not a definitive, like, don't watch this movie. Um, I just, I, I, I think going into it now, knowing what to expect, maybe going into the source material for myself too, and seeing where they differ. I, I think that, you know, it'll be a good exercise afterwards, um, for, for this film, but it'll be interesting to see who picks it up. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like this is. Maybe like, I don't know, like, I don't know who would pick that. Maybe like a neon or somebody like that could pick it up, you know, yeah, it feels, feels very like in there's feels like very in their wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Like it could feels like it's going to be in our box set next year. You know what I mean? Sort of thing. <laughs> and Anne Hathaway. I mean, and, and Thomas Mix. I thought both of them were incredible. I mean, good. they have great chemistry. That was, that was, I mean, Thomas and McKenzie is one of my favorite young actresses today. And, and, you know, also Anne very Hath- interesting date scene if you can call it yeah that. They, they really I mean, do at yeah, least one re- of them thinks it could be <laughs> yeah exactly for sure um i want to mention gael garcia bernal in the movie cassandro because i think thought he was really good where he plays um it's also a biopic directed by roger ross williams where he plays sort of the liberace of lucha libre i i I really like this movie. I thought it was really, really well done. It goes back to what we were saying about radical. It's like, this is a movie built on tropes and cliches that we've kind of seen before, like the, the, you know, the sports biopic, 
um, underdog story. We've seen it many times, but this movie, because of Gil Garcia Bernal, because of the character of Cassandro, um, and and you know what he means and everything, it 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 kind of transcends that. There's an energy that the film has that you can't. That I I just don't think that movies like this usually have and it's also a, a figure that doesn't get talked about a lot too so it's not like it's not like we're making a michael jordan biopic here or anything you know what i mean we're making that we all know what that's about like you know this is somebody that changed um a sport that is you know that not a lot of people still are very familiar with uh of lucha libres and and so therefore it blends to to have a, a story be told in, in a different sort of light and it leans on its tropes, but it also leans on this fantastic performance um, and also directorial decisions to inside the ring to sort of shoot it as if it is on, you know, uh, Mexican television sets um, across the, the, you know, the Texas Mexico border as well as because they're going back and forth. Um, yeah. I thought it was one of like, I think it, in my opinion, it's up there with Rodzikowski as the best male performance I saw. Yeah. So the good. festival yeah and i want to shout out how wonderfully they portray the women in this film yeah. both his mom and his trainer i did i yeah and i thought that his relationship with another wrestler that is closeted with raul castro uh, castillo was very very good it didn't sort of fall too hard into the tropes there is a also a a ton of bad bunny for everyone out there that's a bad bunny fan he's in the <laughs> yeah. film as well um and he's uh he's good to look at too um but uh not a, problem. I also, not a problem but uh but i also thought that there was um if you don't get a little emotional and uh, tugged at the heartstrings by uh a scene towards the end of the film uh that's uh, a, a part of an interview um then man it it's this is a performance Christina, I think could potentially get into awards conversations oh, later on so. because Gil Garcia Bernal is, I mean, he's, um, you know, he's, he's been around a long time. It feels very much like, um, like jockey from a couple of years ago where it's a, it's a, an actor that's carrying a film in a sports movie. Um, and uh, Clifton Collins Jr. was riding the wave throughout the entire See, like this feels very much like a Sony Pictures classic kind mm -hmm. of film to pick up, distribute, and get him out there on the award circuit. And I think that it would be very well deserved because he's doing a dual performance here. He's doing everything outside of the ring, and then when he's in the ring, he's it's very physical, it's very playful, it's very, and it's unapologetically, um, you know, it's unapologetically gay, which is great. And we don't get to see that either. There's not, there's never like, you know, a, a scene about, oh, stop being gay because that's not the way it is in wrestling. It's like, no, it's like I who am who I am, and I'm going to make everyone around me adapt to that. And I think it's such a powerful message too. So yeah, I agree with you. This is um, a good performance. My next category is. We've already seen them peppered through and there'll be more in other categories, but incredible debuts by women directors. And mm -hmm. if listeners go read Ryan's review of All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt, I thought it was beautiful. I was so impressed by 
Raven Jackson's oh. debut here, but take it away because you talked about it so beautifully. Oh, well, first of all, thank you. Um, I never know if anybody reads my stuff. So it's <laughs> nice to know somebody did. Um, yeah, I was blown away by Raven Jackson's uh, debut uh, feature film, um, All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt. It, it follows um, Mac, um, who's played by various uh, young actresses, but uh, Charlene McClurry um, plays her uh, at, a, at most of the film. Um, there's also a younger version of her played in in, in the film as well, but um, played by uh, Kaylee Nicole Johnson, and it follows. It's so interesting this movie. It's it's a non-linear structure, and yet it is done within sort of snapshots or loose memories, going back and forth through one's life, and specifically Mac is a is a young black woman in Mississippi. And it's unapologetically about not about the struggle that you see within black women's lives. Cause we get enough of that in so many damn films. This is about the beauty and the, um, the elements of what make her life meaningful and memorable. And all of it is within these shots of rain and dirt and water and familiarity that we all have, but yet it's it is brought in by the specificity of Raven Jackson's experience of growing up in Tennessee. So I think that you know Pastel and A twenty four have this film, and they of course Pastel is Barry Jenkins and Adela Romanski's company, and A twenty four obviously uh, they they did um, they they distributed after sun last year also and i a feel like the, piece this, to die for. this is a yeah this is a very um this is very close to that but it's it's different because this movie is about a young black woman's experience of growing up in a world where she doesn't have her mother she feels very alone she's going through these changes in her life and the regrets that she has with uh, her family, the lost love that she never got to fully experience, um, the 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 nervousness uh, of becoming a mother herself, um, the the ancestral sort of connection to the place that she's around. Then there's even contemplations of brief looking into her in a very older age too, and reflection. Um, I just thought it was this kaleidoscopic, wonderfully directed, confidently um, made film. And it, it, it floored me. And usually things like this, I get very like gimmicky. And I think that they're very, you know, like they, they don't make a lot of sense, but there's a lot unsaid in the film that I felt that was said and it's, it was my favorite film at the festival. I discovered, you know, it was one of those. I was like, oh, you know, Barry Jenkins and Pastel are directing or you know, or producing another film, and it's a debut, and this should be interesting. And um, and it it just blew me away. It's so beautiful and so patient. I mean, there's a scene of very long embrace where yes. you just it just doesn't end, but you don't want it to either. It, it 
that you can remember an embrace like that, you can physically remember in your mind's eye what that felt like. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, she's, she's, I, I mentioned it in the piece, she's tapping into the familiar. And, and when you do that, it makes a film universal, but yet it also makes it specific. And I was, I was just kind of blown away by the confidence of someone here that, you know, it, re it reminded me a lot of Charlotte Wells. You think about that direction and, you know, after Sun at first, I was like, okay, this is, this isn't what I kind of expected. And then the more I thought about that film, rewatched it and everything, I was very, it clicked, it clicked more. And, and, and also just, you know, everything that's said and unsaid by the visual, you know, and that's that there are so many, you're talking about patience, like the patientness of, of just having the camera centered and watching her mother hold her as a baby, the patientness of, of seeing so wonderfully long, a, a baby wa then washed in, in, in the sink, you know, with patient hands, carrying the water over, carrying the love, carrying the compassion of being cleansed. And, you know, the movie is bookended by the passing down of fishing and activities and spirituals and songs and um, the idea that that grief is internal rather than an external thing. And in through and through this, Mac is 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 reminded of her mother through the rain and the, the dirt and the the elements that have surrounded their lives. And you mentioned that long hug. I'm, you know, the, the editing of this movie is an impeccable achievement. And I, I, I cannot say enough about it. And it's 97 minutes. It could have gone on for another hour if it wanted to, because that's when you're in the hands of someone. And this is, the, this is the sad thing too. It's like, it's very minimal dialogue. So like there's, there's, when you see other directors try to go for it, and yet this director just Raven Jackson just sort of like I'm I know what I'm doing here. I'm not gonna overstep. I'm just going to present what I know. And this and will divide the non-linear structure, I think. It will, will divide but I think but if you give it into it, it's something else. I think that I think that, you know, I've seen some mixed reactions already. And I think people have kind of I think one, I think this is a bad film for a festival almost in, in a certain degree because I think that if you're watching 50 things in a row, um, it's very hard, you know, to kind of it's it could be a jarring experience and then that could that waver it. For me, watching it, it was the first thing I watched in the morning. And because I was so one, I had to review it. And two, I was like, and two, I was I was genuinely curious. And then I think that. It, it kind of ruined some other watches for the day. Cause I was like, nothing's beating this no. at this point. It's too good. So, um, but I think once it, you know, a 24 is going to distribute it. I think they're going to do a sort of like the after sun treatment, obviously uh, not, you know, just kind of patiently get it out there. We could actually wait until the fall to see this. This might be something that, that, uh, that takes its time getting out there. Cause it's not going to make, it's not going to make a ton of money uh, because it is very niche, but I think that this could be something that like critics groups go for towards the end of 2023 and, and really champion because it's one of the more impressive debuts I've seen in quite some time.
Moving on to a completely different tempo, but just as for me, <laughs> impressive debut by a female. That's Rain Allen Miller's charming, charming rom-com, Rye Lane. Charmed me and and gave me hope in the rom-com uh, genre in general. Mm-hmm. This is a sort of a mashup, it's been said by others, between Before Sunrise and Richard Curtis movies for a new generation. It stars David Johnson and Vivian Opara. That's It's filmed around the Peckham neighborhood in South London. There's incredible music. Terence Trent Darby and, and um, Salt and Pepper. There's even a fantastic cameo that will bring to mind Richard Curtis, which I'm not going to say what it is. But it's vibrant. It has all these colors of the city, of the characters, of the actors. And I was so charmed by this movie. And I think that this could really um, go places. Yeah, I thought it was um, I thought it was go- very good. Um, wickedly funny at times. Um, super romantic. I, I, I was taken. I kind of want to see it in the theater because, you know, I want to want to see it on the big screen it felt so confident obviously you mentioned it sort of it, it has those trappings of of the richard linklater series that i think we all love and mm-hmm. um the sensibility of richard curtis but what's so great about it also too is it is it is placed within the black community which we don't get to see a lot of this sort of um this care and this humor be brought into a sort of romantic British comedy. And I found that quite refreshing as someone watching this movie. Cause it's like, yeah, they have relationship problems too out there. You know, I feel like Richard Curtis corners the market on oh. the, on the, on the British rom-com. Um, but uh, yeah, this is an ultimate crop. I was surprised this did not win Me too. audience awards or something because it feels very much like a movie that, I don't know a single person that doesn't like this thing coming out of it. They have high, high marks for it or, um, or, you know, have pretty good things to say about it. Um, So I, I think that it's one that, you know, could, if it finds a, you know, a right distributor feels, isn't it focus features? Is it focus features? Maybe. So like, they're really good. I think about like maybe putting this in the summer and have it be in some counter programming and uh and really could build the buzz for it a good trailer for this thing really would help it also too has a lot of directorial just you know decisions uh that feel very much uh they're, they're really funny they're really um they're really different and and how you're going to do one of these and, and have an energy to them that you know it's not just the walk and talk i mean this is a genre um, where you can just ugh, we've seen that 200 times and oh you're going that direction or this yeah. is what's happening and it just felt like Freshness brought in a really um, assured directorial mm-hmm. debut again um, in a genre that I think you can really f- fall on. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that like sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay to to go and and jump into a genre that's been tapped in so many times if you have something fresh or different or new to say. Oh, of course, we you want know, these. It, we want, we <laughs> yeah, want, you know, just when, do it we, better. <laughs> yeah, we we want to have. Honestly, it's it's. Please, it's but J Lo, do not and... get married again in any yeah, more like, rom coms. Just stop. If you, <laughs> if you have, if she puts on a wedding dress, I swear to God, you know what I mean. Like, you know what I mean. 
actually if she does she better have been in the film yeah like, I mean, with, yes. yeah yes um anyway. but but uh but no it's 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 to say that like we talked about some films that are um are drenched in tropes and this is very much that but if it has different things that we've seen before different identities different way that they look at relationships you know um then then it's it's worth telling and it this feels like a crowd pleaser too so it it was you know it reminded me of like blinded by the light that came out uh you know a couple of years ago from sundance and that was another like in 2019 a very crowd pleasing like fun little british um sort of comedy that um that had some things to say but was about overall the the character work and the and uh in in the direction there too so yeah i was i i had a, a good time with that i would watch it again i was i was telling my wife that um uh, when it comes out we'll have to we'll have to make a night out of it let's talk a little bit more horror we already talked about talk to me but um did you see infinity pool i did see infinity pool and it felt like it went on for an infinity amount of time i was not a fan of this movie <laughs> but were you no. Well, I'm going to tell you, I was a fan of the first 30 minutes. Yeah. I was intrigued by these two couples. Um, Alexander Skorsgård and uh, Mia Goth are incredible. The world building in the first 30 minutes was really intriguing. These um, yes. Alexander Skorsgård plays in a writer with writer's block, and he and his wife are at this very particular sort of compound beautiful um resort and mm -hmm. they meet another couple who wants to take them out of the resort which you're not supposed to and they go and they have this picnic and something horrible happens on the way back which means that they get involved with the police and the police in this particular society have a very horrible and interesting way of dealing with things all that was interesting and then the script just died all the stuff that I wanted to know about what was going on with this place, what was happening, suddenly we're in, talk about a trope. I mean, who is shocked by rich people in masks having orgies? I mean, have we not? That was basically the rest of the movie um, and a lots of sort of stuff that I didn't find at all shocking or new. Um, and that sort of disappointed me because I really thought that the first part of the movie could have been come this incredible story that I was interested in and the mm -hmm. actors keep giving their absolute all. I mean, that's for sure. But um, so that's my, in a nutshell. <laughs> I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think that um, Brandon Cronenberg's first film possessor, if I'm not mistaken, was the title of it um, or possession um, possessor, I think. did not work, did not work for me. Um, I think that like, but which is funny because then like his father comes out with Crimes of the Future last year, a movie that was in my top 20 of the year, a movie that I find wickedly funny, that I feel has something to sort of say about uh, the genre that he's been going after, the 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 kind of films that are being made in this genre that he has inhabited, that he has created, right? And, um, and I, it almost feels like a target uh like targeted at his own son for trying to make a film that's very much trying to seep within his father's wheelhouse and so then to see crimes of the future and what it's saying and then to watch this movie it's like oh father's telling the son you can't do what i do and the son is like oh try to watch me do what you do 
and fails miserably. The first 30 minutes of this movie are interesting, but most Eat the Rich films have a good 30 minutes to start. And then I got to tell you, the 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 rest of this movie is not it, almost nonsensical at times. The the answers to questions, it's such an interesting premise and what you're trying to do. And yet you didn't do anything with it. And it's, and it's right there. <laughs> yes, because by the end of the happened. film, I don't know what's going on. It's so it's so weirdly written. It's so over the toply performed. It's edited to death. It feels like it feels as if he lost something in the edit. He lost what he was doing. And well, I think you know, he lost last... something before that and then tried to save it in the edit. It's the it's the definition of a hell of a trailer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a movie that just completely crumbles in on itself and people are saying, oh, it's wild. It's this and that. I, I got to say this. And, and Christina, I'm going to say this. And I, I mean, it's all the love and respect to people out there that like this. Tired of the Eat the Rich movies. Oh, like, they would just retire this, this tired trope that we've been having. Like, Parasite spoiled us because now we've gotten like Adam McKay movies. Um, you know, I thought the menu was fine, uh, or, or actually, I thought it was pretty good. But then, but then, like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, eh. like, Glass Onion is not inherently all about eating the rich it's also just like a fun mystery that you could have as well with that triangle of sadness more falls in line with that and maybe this is just maybe a neon problem i guess of like triangle of sadness everything's on the nose this movie everything's on the nose Mm. and it's like no these aren't smart and sophisticated but the thing about like something like that a parasite can do obviously having a master behind the, the the writing and the directing of that film is that you make the movie about the characters and write them and flesh them out. And then you can have your commentary. Do not have the commentary be what's driving us forward. And I feel like directors are losing their minds trying to, I've got something to say instead of, I don't have anybody written on the page to say it and tell it. And so I think that it's like an empty gesture of, of just like grotesque images and there's there's sex in it. People are loving this. I don't get it. I think that it's superficial and I think that some people's tastes can be superficial when it comes <laughs> to it because some people like it like a, a metaphor beat over the head with them, you know what I mean? And and for me I'm like I I can see right through this movie. And I think it's I think it's way too trying to have too like it's it's also one of those movies where I'm showing you all these things to be weird and to be sexy and to be grotesque and without actually like there's a reason behind any of yeah. it. So yeah, that's it what I felt like. I was like, is are you are people? Am I just desensitized? Who's shocked by guy yeah, I wasn't dog sh- collar and and thing? I don't know. It was like okay. <laughs> I've got maybe maybe it's maybe I've got a sick brain. Yeah, but like when people say this is the most grotesque thing I've seen in years, I'm like. I don't, I don't, this was pretty tame again. Like, you know, like, I I don't know. I, I I watched try when I watched triangle of sadness, I heard the same sort of things. And I was like, it's the same audience that likes these two movies. I think. Yeah. I think that says a lot though about their, that audience rather than it says about the film. 
Yeah. And maybe that, <laughs> that's maybe, so maybe they maybe that's an examination for another time. Another right. Show. We'll, we'll do a whole <laughs> show on that. Um, I want to quickly mention one more one because it's also a really um, great female director, Laura Moss, who has made a film called Birth Rebirth, starring Marin Ireland, who we talked about in Eileen and Judy Reyes in sort of a Frankenstein-esque type movie. Judy Reyes works in a hospital and her daughter dies. Marin Ireland, she works in a morgue and she's been working on mm. a sort of secret project from home, um, wanting to reanimate. And mm. uh, this whole movie is about motherhood, you know, what happens when children die. Um, it's just a really interesting new look at the Frankenstein story in a very modern, small little package. Did you mm. see it? I did not get to see it, but I heard good. I heard good things. All right. So I have two docs and one more movie I want to talk about. And then if there's anything else you want to mention, and that is, did you see Beyond Utopia? I did not. That was one of the winners, uh, I believe, of of the festival prizes, and it's one I will be catching up with today. Then I'll just quickly say this is one of my absolute favorite, and I had to turn it off three times because it was so painful. Um, it's Madeline Gavin's really incredible document about life inside totalitarian North Korea, and journeys that defectors take to get out of there, a pastor who is trying to help them get out of there, a mother's absolute torment trying to get her son out, and footage that I cannot believe that we are seeing or how these documentarians have gotten a hold of it. Um, it really is essential viewing, Ryan. So um, it, it impacted me immensely. And I think this is going to be the documentary to look out for in the next Oscar year. I hope. Yeah. I really, I really got to, I'm that now it's just moved to the top of the pile. Yeah. So I will, I will watch that one for sure. And I want to mention Michael J. Fox stock. Did you see that? I did not get to see Still, that. No, that's also no. something to catch. I mean, that will be coming um, pretty mm -hmm. soon. So it's Davis Guggenheim. It's a really raw, candid um, look at Michael J. Fox, who just is so honest and open and brave in his Parkinson's. But we also see the sort of meteoric rise of this unlikely kid from Canada who had this huge success and how fame really obstructed his life, this love story to Tracy Bond. I really en enjoyed that as a look at sort of an 80s icon that was part of my life. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what, you know, how he's really facing up to his illness uh, and with his wife, you know, um, in sickness or in health, it was really beautiful. Um, so that's worth to look at whenever it comes. Oh, and nice. finally, before, if you don't have anything else, I want to talk about theater camp. Oh yes. You, you saw have to that talk one. about theater camp. <laughs> that was a good time. That I thought it was, um, uh, <laughs> how do I put this? Uh, I felt very seen. Uh, when I was watching that damn movie, I was sitting there going like, you bastards really nailed the awkwardness, the the eccentricities, the familiarity, the 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 specificity that lies within doing any kind of theater production whatsoever. 
the awkwardness that I think carries a lot with theater kids. Um, this is directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman, and um, and it stars Gordon and Ben Platt and Amy Sedaris and 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 Noah Galvin. And an incredible and cast of kids. I mean, just an, an insane amount of kids <laughs> with so much talent. So like talented. This, I mean, this movie. <laughs> I I think um, Noah Galvin stole the show for me. I just think that he was absolutely hilarious. Uh, there's a. I used to work. I just want to uh, say this it, is a mockumentary, if yes. format, sort of waiting for. Yeah, Guffman. it's waiting for Guffman, sort of about like a a, a summer theater camp, um, and it felt I felt very seen with with um, with Glenn played by Noah Galvin because he's. I used to be in in high school in the tech theater department. I was uh, was one of the 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 leads there, and when they did the whole, it's tech tech week here at at camp and he's running around everywhere and like there's one there's one moment where in order to cut his time he just rolls down a cliff and it's just a shot of him rolling down the cliff and he gets up and starts running again i was i was dying there were specific uh callbacks like uh there was there's one scene where it involves like uh well those are fossey kids and those are sondheim kids and stuff like that i was like Oh my, and, and, and it, you sit there and you go, oh my God, of, of freaking course they're going to show all this, but yet it's so funny. And it also is, is really sincere in the way it's doing it too. And the kids are so Beautiful great and they add that with them. The, the ending, my God, original song already for 2023, like hilarious, a hilarious song. So yeah, was, I was really surprised by it because things like this can get really annoying really quick. And I didn't find that at all. No, this is this is going to be big. I was saying that I want this to be episodic TV. I want to continue following yeah. these, this <laughs> next group. summer sort yeah. of thing, right? <laughs> now, uh. we poor online viewers, we didn't get to see two movies that are going to be huge if we listen to everyone. That's Flora and Stun, starring Bono's mm. daughter Eve Hewson, who's the big big star in the making, mm. and uh, a movie called Past Lives, which mm. seems to be. I mean, I've heard people I've talk heard about it so beautifully that I'm yeah. I'm jealous as I don't know what that I haven't seen it. But that's why we can't talk about those because those weren't streaming. That's past lives will be in Berlin. That could be a reason why mm -hmm. they didn't want it to go online. But is there anything else you want to mention? I got locked out of you hurt my feelings. I'm very disappointed by that Nicole Hall of Centers uh Centers movie with um, Julia Louis Dreyfus, which I think was apparently was really funny. I was able to see it, um, and uh, I, I I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was. Um, I think it was like just very confident and very just like it's very Nicole Hall Center. You know, like I'm just used to their her um, sort of simplistic yet uh, at first, and then and it broadens out in 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 terms of what it's trying to say. Um, you know, this follows um a writer and her and her husband who's a therapist, and they're both played by Julie Louis Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies, and they they're sort of trying to, you know, right at the time of their wedding anniversary, sort of figure out their place. Her as a writer, him as a therapist. They have a son who's sort of the wheels are going around, and then they have family members that are struggling too. So it's it's a very loose plot, very, you know, very New York centric sort of film. Um, but Hall Center is one of the best writers we have out there on the planet. So like, it's, it's really hard for her to write 
a bad film. There's also like really good humor in it. Um, you know, uh, you know, I think that Julia Louis Dreyfus just works really best with her, to be honest, as well, too. Yeah. Um, this is a, you know, a reunion for her with, you know, they did enough said, which is a fantastic film if anyone hasn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh it's it's really it was really a, just a fun, pleasurable watch. Um, has some great things if you're if you are married about like how we talk and how we lie to one another, you know, and how we, you know, we hide some truths to protect, um, you know, our spouse's egos. But I saw that one. And then um, there was a film called Sometimes I Think About Dying um, by Rachel Lambert, and it starred uh, Daisy Ridley. And it was a, it was a movie that it was one of the first things I saw at the festival. And the more I've thought about it, the more I really like it. Um, it's about this this girl played by Daisy Ridley. She's sort of a, a, a she's introverted. She doesn't want to really connect with anybody in her office. There's a lot of weird sort of specific office talk. So if you ever worked in an office, it's uh, it hits you hard mm-hmm. um, in the specificity there. But um, it's about her sort of trying to branch out, and especially when somebody new shows up into her office and um, I thought visually it was really interesting. There's a score to this movie that is, is, is very whimsical and um, aesthetically just fits the overall tone. I think Ridley, it's a quieter performance from her that we've never really seen a different side of her. And it's, she's so good in this movie um, that I, I hope people give it a shot. It is, you know, it, it may not work. Me, right? <laughs> it, it, it may not exactly. It may not work for everyone. It has but... a fantastic monologue at the end. Daisy Ridley mm-hmm. is good. It, it's just a, for me, like takes all the festivaly festival type of movies. I it can see that. Just, yeah. It was very one note, even though I appreciate parts of it. It, it, it I mean, it, I, it bored me. No, no, that's no, that's fair for me. Early on, I was trying to figure out, you know what it was going for but i think it, it you know i connected with her struggle um uh, you know to try to open up and i thought about it too it was just like you know it was taking some swings but it also was patient like it, it it was one of those movies that of of the fact that it didn't also try to go crazy over the top it was very quiet at times like it it is a it is tonally it does move all over the place, but it doesn't feel jar it wasn't jarring for me. And I think that's because Ridley's performance is so in command the entire time. And the ensemble around her are pretty like are a bunch of really unknown actors. Like it it really didn't feel the festival. There's some other festival-y films that I felt that I was like, okay, yeah, I get what you're doing here. Like this this at least like showed for a first time director showed the promise of like, okay, you're able to land your ending of emotionality behind it and it feel consistent with your character. And so I thought that that was good. Some of the humor doesn't land all the way through, but, but that performance and that consistency by the end, it it was, it was something worth highlighting at least for me. Is there anything else you want to, I mean, we both saw a lot of other things, but, um, are we happy with what we've highlighted and the themes? Yes. Uh, just one last thing. Do not watch Fairyland. It was bad. <laughs> Talk about that. 
Yeah, that's the, the Sofia Coppola produced. Yeah, it's from Andrew uh, um, Dunham, who, uh, uh, you know, it's with Scoot McNary and Amelia Jones. One of the worst scripts I've uh, had the witness of my ears to listen to in quite some time. Uh, I was texting um, our good friend, Eric Anderson, um, always second build when we do a show together. Um, <laughs> and um, we were just going on and on about how this movie was super long. This movie was super generic. This movie was completely on the nose. Also just felt like this felt like a movie that was made in 1990 and shown at Sundance in 2023. Like that's what it felt like. And it was like, what are we doing? And I heard so many praises for this movie and everything. And I watched, I'm like, am I watching this in a different planet? Like, am I in one of the different everything, everywhere, all at once universes? Like, am I am I watching this where in a world where people think that this dialogue is acceptable, that, you know, these performances are good, like, you know, poor Gina Davis feels like wooden, you know, she's like auditioning for the next Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio movie. <laughs> you know, it's it, there's there's just a lot of things that are probably there was a movie like that and one that did win an award, the pod generation. Another movie that I oh, sort of God, sat there. That, that was one of my worst. That I don't know. So just don't watch those. Okay. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just don't do that. But there was a there was one documentary I do want to highlight, and it was a movie called Bad Press. And oh, um, I missed that. I've heard people praise this. This thing, I'm gonna tell you, uh, you're gonna absolutely love this thing. Um, it is about um uh, the Muscogee Nation and their they were given the chance to have a, a printing press in, over in Alaska and the government is sort of is, is trying to censor them. So you have these rogue reporters uh, building up a grassroots campaign um, trying to get, you know, this, um, this, you know, indigenous community to have their voice being heard um, immense, you know, a lot of backlash from their governor and, and, and everybody in the government. If you liked boy state, or if you like sort of investigative journalist mm-hmm. films as well, this is the best one of the fest. Um, I was really taken aback by it. It's also very personal because of the fact that it is a, a, a minority group being taken advantage of. And uh, in an area in which they're, they, you know, they, um, they have, they really don't have a voice. So I, I found it to be, just a really interesting look into all of that. Oh, and, I'm going to try uh, to see if I can still catch that one tonight. Yeah, still- I think they might have gotten an award, so you might be able to catch it. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was one to kind of keep an eye out for. Somebody's going to pick that little thing up and and carry it all the way because it's got a it's got a big kind of message behind it too about you know the sort of um, the the voiceless not being able to stand up for themselves uh, against a big machine so it's got to get an underdog story to it as well but yeah it was really good wonderful great way to end um ryan thank you so much catch ryan at awards watch and in session um i hope to see you in person at a festival this year as well um gotta make it happen we'll do this again oh yes we will do this again we got to make the in-person thing happen this year um, uh, but now I go into a cryo chamber and sleep yes. uh, for, for <laughs> weeks like after yeah. watching all these movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up. 
on 5-Minute News. I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.